That was amazing, wasn't it? It's an amazing day to see these young men and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before they came out, I was talking with them and I said the very earliest confession of faith was Jesus is Lord. It wasn't a long doctrinal statement, but the first Christian creed was Jesus is Lord. 2,000 years ago, when people stood in rivers and they were baptized, before being baptized, they would say, Jesus is Lord. And now, two millennia later, we have two young men here at this service who stood and said without any holding back, Jesus is Lord. And that was an exciting moment. That was on their own initiative, by the way to make sure everyone understood that Jesus Christ is their Lord. That's how it all begins. Confessing Christ is Lord, he becomes our savior, and then a new life ensues from there. That's crucial. There is a new life that follows. We don't live a different kind of life in order to receive God's forgiveness and his grace. But having received from God, we're then called to a new kind of life. And it's to be a distinctively Christian life during this time of waiting. You see, Jesus came, he died on a cross, rose again from the dead, but then he's gone to our eyes. He's not present. He's present by his spirit, but we don't see him. Not until he comes again. When is that going to happen? We don't know when. But there is a, let's hope so. But there is this, this interim period, and we live in this interim period between the coming of Christ the first time and the second coming. So Jesus, in Matthew 25, tells a parable. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. There are ten young women who are waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. But they're not ready. And Jesus uses that parable to say, we need to be ready for the Lord's second coming. But what does it mean to be ready? Jesus then tells another parable. It's called the parable of the talents. And that's the parable I want us to talk about today. How do we live during this interim period? How do we live in a way that prepares us for the second coming of Jesus Christ? How do we get ready? What's expected of us? That's what this parable is all about. As I said, it's called the parable of the talents, but in the verses I'm about to read, you won't see the word talents. It's in the Greek, but it's not in the English. And that's because the New International Version that I read from paraphrases talents, which is a term for money, into bags of gold. It's not a bad paraphrase. The reason they do it is because as English speakers, when we hear the word talent, we think of some natural gift that we have, and we tend to misunderstand what is meant, and so they paraphrase it. So when it says bags of gold, it means it's literally talent, thus the parable of the talents. Let's see what Jesus says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's quite obvious that the master is Jesus, that the servants represent those who are disciples of Jesus, or at least those who claim to be a dis disciples of Jesus. And this accounting that takes place after the master returns, that clearly refers to the second coming, after which there will be a judgment and everyone will have to give an account. But to try to apply this to our lives and to see what lesson it teaches us, how are we to live during this interim period, let's stay with the story just a minute. We have this master who does an extraordinary thing. He puts enormous wealth in the hands of three slaves. He entrusts it to them. A talent, which is the measure that's being used here, is uh, for a common laborer, it would take half a lifetime to earn one talent. So to have one talent, that's quite a sum. Two, five, that's a huge sum of money that this master gives to the slaves. But that's what he does. He entrusts it to them with the understanding that they're going to use this money to do business. And in business, to amass greater wealth for the master, to grow the estate. And that's what the first servant does. As soon as he gets that bag of gold, he's out of there and he puts the money to work and he earns five more bags of gold. 
In the Greek, you could actually translate it, he wins them. So he won five more bags of gold. And the second servant, he takes his two bags of gold and he wins two more because he puts it to work. But the third servant, the third servant goes out and just buries it in the ground, which is what people did at that time in that place in the world. If they wanted to keep something safe, they didn't have the security that we have, so many different forms of security today. Well, they didn't have that, so they would just go someplace where no one was looking, they'd dig a hole, and they'd bury whatever it is they wanted to save. That's what this man did. He buried it. And so the master returns, and now it's a day to give an account, and the first servant comes, and of course, he has good news. I, I gained five more bags of gold here. And the second service, same thing, two more bags. He doesn't have as much to report, but he's doubled what he's had. He's been faithful with what he had. He, didn't, he wasn't given as much as the first servant, but he was faithful with what he had. And both servants received the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. A good servant because they've been faithful servants. They were given different amounts of money, but they were faithful with what they had, so they received the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things, which is interesting because he doesn't reward them with a pension so that they can rest forever, but he gives them greater opportunities for service. And then, then he invites both of them to share his happiness. They had different gifts, different opportunities, but they were faithful in what they did, and they both received the blessing of the master, the reward from the master, identical rewards. But that third servant, I knew you're a hard man. You're stern, and you're the type that you reap a harvest even though you haven't done the hard work of sowing the seed. So I thought, I'm not going to risk anything. I, I'm just going to bury your bag of gold in the ground. That's what I did. So here it is, master. You have what's yours. The master said, you lazy, wicked servant. You thought I was a hard taskmaster? That's what you thought? If you really thought that, if that's really what was driving you, you would have deposited my money with a banker so at least I could get interest. But you didn't think that at all. You're simply a wicked, lazy servant. In fact, the truth is, this man cared nothing about the master, cared nothing about working to enlarge the master's estate. Let those other two suckers over here work themselves trying to build a business with that money. Let them work for the master. I'm just going to bury this in the ground. That'll keep it safe. When the master returns, I'll give it back. In the meantime, I'll live for me, not him. I'm not going to live like these other two. I'm going to do my own thing my own way. I'm going about my business. And I'll give him back what's his. You wicked, lazy servant, he says. Take the one bag from him and give it to the one who has ten. And get him out of here. It's a stern word. This has an important message for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. 
It's an encouraging word, actually, because the truth is that God has given all of us something. He's given us something to use in his service. He's given us opportunities to serve him. You know, some people are always looking around for some kind of opportunity to serve God. And it's right there, right there in front of them. They have resources right now. They may not have five bags of gold. They may only have one, but they have one and it matters. And all they're being asked to do is to faithfully use that for the master. Faithfully use it for him. That's all. If they're faithful, that's the key word. If they're faithful, they will be commended on the day of judgment. Well done, good and faithful servant. They will be welcomed into the master's happiness. Isn't that what people are seeking? People are seeking happiness. Well, who is happy but the one who is about the Lord's work and has something to give the Lord when he has an accounting. And so a key concept in this is stewardship. A steward is simply a manager, only a manager who manages somebody else's property. And that's what we are as Christians. We are all stewards. God has granted us resources and opportunities to serve him, to do his work. And during this interim period, that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not looking far and wide, but looking right where we stand at what opportunities we have, what we have to offer. And how do we do it? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus went about doing good and undoing the works of the enemy. What can you do as a child of the kingdom to help people? How can you build them up? What words of encouragement can you give them? What gifts might you give? We have lots of things we can give. One thing we can give is money. We can give money. It's, it's really tragic, I think, that in a society that is so very wealthy, we give less than generously most of the time. There are many exceptions to that. I'm grateful there are many exceptions to that, but as a rule, as a rule, the more money people have, the less generously they give. Did you know that? Studies have been done on that. Studies have been done. Again, there are many exceptions, but it's a fact that the more people gain, the less they give in terms of the percentage of income, which puts the lie to what a lot of people say. If I had more money, then I would really be generous. Well, actually, the people who have more money are generally not more generous. Again, many exceptions. And in the church, there are, there are so many people who use their wealth in ways that just astonish me, just the generosity. I'm grateful for that. I'm, we all are, and there are examples for us all. But it's, it's tragic that statistically that's not the case. And I think it's because the more wealth we get, the more the more we start seeing our lives is tied up with material things and the harder it is to let that go. But you know, the wealth you have, God gives you to pass on, to use, to use in a way that pleases him. That's one of the things you should be doing during this interim period. But it's not just money, it's everything that you've got. What talents do you have? Now I'm talking about talent as an ability. What talent
talents do you have that you can turn to the Lord's service somehow? What opportunities do you have to step in and in the name of Jesus Christ heal a hurt or meet a need? What responsibilities do you have? Sometimes you might see them as a burden. Have you ever thought that maybe those are the very things that God has called you to do? It's part of your ministry. And it's a burden only because you fight it if you embrace it and begin serving in the name of Jesus Christ, then you are serving his kingdom. And in the end, you receive this wonderful commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Unfortunately, there are some people who pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. And then they're happy now. I'm forgiven. All my sins are gone. I'm going to heaven. Whew, glad I got that taken care of. And then they bury everything and go about their lives. They don't worry about it. Once saved, always saved. I'm good. And they just pursue their own ends. They're not thinking about Christ, his kingdom, what God desires, how they can serve him in the world. They're just going about their own business. And why wouldn't they? Do you know how long my bucket list is? Do you know how many wonderful things I want to do? But that, one, that servant, the third servant, had the one talent who buries it. See, it was all about him, and that's what happens to us. We start thinking it's all about us. Sometimes I think as Christians, especially in our culture, that is so much focused in on not just ourselves but how we feel. I think too often we think of our Christian faith as meant to make us feel better and to be happy, and, and that's the whole focus. And if I feel okay, then everything's okay. For all we know, the third servant felt just fine till the master returned. The fact is, it's not all about us. It's about him. And it's about what we can do in serving him. We are stewards. Or let me use a different term. In a sense, we're all called to be Christian philanthropists. Now, when we say philanthropists, we usually think of someone who gives money. And typically, philanthropists do give money. But the term actually refers to anyone who seeks the well-being of people. They are philanthropists. Philanthropy comes from two Greek words that are mashed together. First, it's philia, which means love. And then anthropos, which means man or human. So it's the love of human beings. And we, as Christians, are to be philanthropists in the name of Jesus Christ. That last phrase is important. We don't just go about doing good. We go about doing good in the name of Jesus Christ so that he gets the glory. If I just go about doing good, everybody praises me. But if I say, you know what? There's nothing here to praise. The praise goes to the Lord, and we do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what makes a difference. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be Christian philanthropists. In fact, you have the parable of the ten virgins, then the parable of the talents, the next parable. You might want to read it if you haven't yet. It finishes out chapter 25 of Matthew. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus distinguishes between 
the sheep who are true believers and the goats who are not based on whether one met the needs of other human beings in their suffering and distress. In other words, were they philanthropists? So this all fits together. This is the kind of life we're to live. Bottom line, Christian discipleship is not a passive, feeling-oriented lifestyle. It's not that. It is a holy activism. Whether you feel spiritual or not, whether you feel at peace or not, you know that you serve a Lord and it's your task to use what you can to serve in his kingdom and to glorify his name. That's what we're called to do. And if we do that, happiness is going to come. Remember, it's the servants, the faithful servants that find happiness. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your grace that you have lavished on us richly. Lord, you have saved us and we call you Lord. God, as David confessed your lordship, as Kai confessed your lordship, Lord, we have confessed that you are Lord and we want to live that way, centered not on ourselves, but on you, Lord, doing your will. Lord, you have given us so much, so many opportunities to serve. We don't have to look far and wide. They're right in front of us. Lord, we know the opportunities are different for each one of us. We're all different. We all have a different position. We all have different gifts that you've given. But Lord, we all have something. Forgive us. Forgive us for being passive. Forgive us for not serving. And Lord, help us to be faithful during this time that we might be ready for your coming. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.